दी है Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Thrones Cast, Across the Airways podcast dedicated to discussing an episode of HBO's Emmy Award-winning series, Game of Thrones. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, otherwise known as the king of this podcast, and with me are two glorious hoping that Garia is alive. My co-host... Hey everybody, it's Nico. Hi guys, it's Nikki. And welcome to Across the Airways Thrones Cast. On this week's episode, Dan, Nikki, and I review the seventh episode of Season 6 of Game of Thrones. Alright, so... We're going to first start our Game of Thrones discussion off with some news about future episodes of Game of Thrones. So take it away with that, Nico. Game of Thrones director confirmed shorter season 7. Season 6 of Game of Thrones has taken fans beyond the events of George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire novels and moved the characters towards the series endgame, but that conclusion could mean shorter seasons for the show. While the news is sure to disappoint some fans, it's not entirely a surprise. Now back in April, Game of Thrones co-showrunner David Beninoff said, I think we're down to our final 13 episodes after this season. We're heading into the final lap. That's the guess, though nothing is yet set in stone, but that's what we're looking at. Now if HBO has settled on 13 episodes and season 7 will only get 7 episodes then the planned 8th season would be 6 episodes long. And considering that there may be nearly a year between season 7 and 8, that's going to be a very long wait for fans. But if you consider, that's nothing compared to what the book readers have been waiting for for Martin to finish his final two novels in the series. From a business perspective, it's understandable why HBO would rather split the remaining episodes than deliver a 13 episode final season. Game of Thrones is one of the network's most popular shows and the reigning Emmy winner for Best Drama. It's the kind of hit that doesn't just come along very often, and HBO won't want to let it go without getting as much out of it as possible. Think Harry Potter splitting the seventh book into two films, and virtually every major large project is doing the same thing right now. So that's that's what Game of Thrones is going to do, and it's actually probably a a good move. It might mean that we get hour and a half episodes instead of just the 60-minute episodes. So I I think it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you guys think? Do you think HBO's doing the right thing with those going 13 over two seasons or would you rather they just get all 13 in a single season i'm kind of of the opinion that i i want more seasons because i wanted just to keep going but that's just you know my own selfishness selfishness so i think 13 episodes over two seasons makes me happier than 13 in one season just because i kind of like the anticipation and while i bemoan the loss of game of thrones when it's not on there's something about the enthusiasm the anticipation of it coming back so I'm okay. And if they're longer episodes, even better, because then you're, you're, we're not really getting as short shafted as we might be. If they were just going to keep them the 60 minutes and it'd be like, well, okay, then I'm not getting a season. It wouldn't feel like a whole season's worth of Game of Thrones. It would feel like just a short. I was like, okay, you've given me a taste. Because basically, if this season had only seven episodes, this would be the last episode of the right. season. And I'm not satisfied by that. <laughs> but I think if they're longer and you could compact, you could take 10 episodes and make them into seven or make them into six by lengthening the time 
then they'd be like more like little mini movies. That's exactly that. it. Quite good battle scene episodes. Car longer. Good. I think we have a lot of lot of battles coming. Don't you both think? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, but I think that the way the show, one of its brilliant qualities, is that they make the battles interesting and they also intercut them so that you don't feel like you're just watching a whole episode. I mean, there have obviously been some exceptions, like the Siege at the Wall and then Hard Home, where they took almost the whole episode. And that was pretty much what the focus was, but pretty but they're really good at like keeping the character driven stuff going during their battles and right. i'm fine with that i'm fine if i if, if i'm just watching i might as well be, we'll be watching say the first half hour saving private ryan right. over and over and over again but with game of thrones i don't feel that way well yes i sieges can be boring when you're reading them for pages and pages and pages i'm sorry george i think the way that the show condenses things in a way that makes it more palatable and not as okay i'm gonna go away for five minutes and come back and it's still gonna be the same thing so yeah. i'm i'm actually with that. Well, you mentioned the episode Hard Home, and I thought they did an excellent job. Even though they pretty much stayed in that one location for most of the episode, mm-hmm. they built it with a lot of character-driven stuff in the beginning. They had this amazing battle that probably lasted mm-hmm. 10 minutes of screen time, and then they finished it with additional character and mythos building stuff by having the Night King raise the dead as Jon Snow was leaving. So I thought they, they handled that episode absolutely perfectly. And Absolutely. And it, it, it shows that they know what they're doing, that it's not all about the action. The action is great, but you need the character-driven stuff. Mm-hmm. Even in, even if you stay in one location and focus on a battle, it's the build-up to the battle and the, the conclusion of the battle mm-hmm. as well that is super important. And they handled it perfectly in Hard Home, and I'm, I'm hoping that we get the same. I totally forward. agree. Well, they're, they're bringing characters together. I totally agree. Hard Home is one of my favorite episodes, so... Okay, because I, I was just going to say, because it seems like they're condensing the number of characters, kind of bringing them together. So I think when we have battles in future episodes, there's going to be a lot of characters in the story where they're not going to need to jump around in because most of the characters will be there. So I think it'll be okay. Get future episodes of it. Just focus on a battle because I think you're going to be seeing the battle from different characters' perspective. And so you're going to feel like you've got that Game of Thrones story progression for each character. But at the same time, they're all in the same location. So it progresses the, the ongoing story for everybody. Exactly. I, yeah, and I like the idea that we're finally some of these characters are finally going to meet. Exactly. That's exciting. Like having Danny meet John and you know Sansa and Ari, maybe everybody getting back, kind of getting the band back together. So it's something that I am really looking forward to. As much as I am not looking for the end of Game of Thrones, I am really looking forward to how they end it. And who wins the Game of Thrones? Okay, these next three episodes, I think, are going to start that. I think it already began in this episode. But I think there's going to be more depth, too, just to say that. Yeah, well, it's Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes, they're going to narrow down characters, as well as bring them together. All right, we also had a second news item that was a little bit of fun news for book readers, a little bit of a confirmation of a theory that we had, much like we got last episode. But this one was, Brienne of Tarth is the descendant of a legendary knight. Tall, brave, loyal, skilled, gallant, uncomfortable in their own skin, an unlikely hero of the Seven Kingdoms, Brienne of Tarth, a true knight in all ways except for the title, is one of the purely good inhabitants of Westeros, but that description just as easily applies to another true knight of the realm, one of the most renowned and legendary members to ever wear the white cloak of the Kingsguard, Sir Duncan the Tall. And it turns out the two share more than just the same attributes, they share the same blood. I came across this news of Martin revealing Brienne's famous ancestry over at Nerdist.com via Variety Fair, and for fans of Game of Thrones, and 
a Song of Ice and Fire who can't get enough of George R.R. R. Martin's complex and vast history, this is a connection some have already speculated about. Before we get to this very cool announcement though, let's take a quick look at who Sir Duncan was. Now while show watchers are very familiar with Brienne of Tarth, Sir Duncan the Tall is a beloved and central figure of Martin's series of Duncan Egg prequel novellas, which begin about 100 years before the start of the series. The first Duncan Egg novella takes place in 209 AC, and Robert Baratheon died in 298 AC. We don't want to give too much away about these action-adventure stories, because you should absolutely read them. Martin has said they might even make for an excellent prequel series or series of movies for HBO after Game of Thrones ends, but they involve some major moments in the history of the Targaryen dynasty. More importantly, they show the chivalry of Sir Duncan, who would forever remain at Aegean's side, becoming the Lord Commander of his Kingsguard until the two of them died together at the tragedy of Summerhall in 259 AC. But getting back to this story about Brienne and Sir Duncan, Martin confirmed while attending Baltimore's Balticon that the fan theory that Brienne actually is a relative of Sir Duncan, though without giving any specifics, which we hope imagine will be answered one day in another novella, he did confirm the fan theory. Fans already thought that Brienne might be related to Sir Duncan for reasons that go well beyond them both being tall. Martin had previously said that a descendant of Sir Duncan would appear in his fourth book, A Feast for Crows, and then Brienne mentioned in that novel how, as a child, she found a shield in the armory of her home that happened to have the personal arms of Sir Duncan on them. She used those arms to travel incognito in the book. So between his shield inexplicably being at her home, their heights, their gallantry, and their talent with a sword, fans guessed that Brienne might be exactly who Martin was now confirming she is. In the grand scheme of the story, this revelation might not be more than just some fun bonus for the fans, but Sir Duncan led a life of bravery dedicated to the ideals of a knight pure at heart, so no one is as worthy as carrying on his bloodline as Brienne. This is just some cool information I thought I'd pass along to our listeners. All right. Get that exciting news out of the way. We're going to dive right into talking about this week's exciting Game of Thrones episode, which featured the surprise return of a character that I thought was dead. Get titled The Broken Lord. Jamie encounters a hero. The High Sparrow fixates on another prey. Arya hatches a new plan. Yara and Theon plot their next move. Elena and Cersei discuss their family's features. The fact that Marjorie is holding off and giving the High Sparrow what he wanted, because giving the king an arrow, got passing her grandmother a note, shows that she has a plan to take back the throne. But do either one of you have any idea what the symbol of a rose drawn on paper is supposed to mean, or what kind of message that's set to Elena? Well, that's their house sigil. Right. Yep. That's Tyrell's sigil. So to me, that means she is still a Tyrell, which means she is still she has not given herself fully over and that this I think that was a message to her grandmother that don't worry I haven't gone anywhere I'm still here kind of got this covered I guess yeah I've got a plan exactly couldn't have said it better <laughs> I'm glad the character did it because it's drinking the Kai's Barrel School Well, I I think the fact that she's playing her part so well with even a, a, of something like that she's thinking she's plotting or anything. Like some people can't. She has no tell. Yeah. And Kai Sparrow threatening Olena Tyrell. Are you kidding me? Did you just threaten Emma Peel? Have you not watched the Avengers? She will kick ways to Sunday. Yes, Don't mess with her. 
Very good point. Again, I think she's Kalina's going to kick some Cersei butt as well, since she's leaving <laughs> King's Landing without telling Cersei that Marjorie has a plan. Kenny's up to something. Again, it feels like the Tyrells sort of want Cersei to go down with the High Sparrow ship. Again, I think that's going to happen for Jamie to kind of realize that there are bigger enemies he should be fighting than the Blackfish right now. I feel like him doing this whole thing with the Blackfish, even after what the Starks put him through, it's kind of a waste out of his time on what he should be dealing with. So what do you both think about both of those theories? Is Tolina trying to take out Cersei as well? Again, could be this going to get to where Jamie realizes that there's other things he should be dealing with. You know, I'm not entirely sure what the plans are that Marjorie or Elena have, or even if they are, have the same plan yet. But whatever machinations they're making, it will not include Cersei and may actually try to oust Cersei. Elena essentially told Cersei off in that scene with the two of them and told her that all this trouble was her fault and that even if she were the only other person available to help, she'd never forget that look of triumph on Cersei's face when the sparrows came for Marjorie and Loras and that the only good to come out of all of this mess was that Cersei was humiliated and weakened by this mistake. So, yeah, they're not going to be working together. And Jamie, he doesn't really have much choice at the moment on what he does. The king gave him a direct order to take back River Run. So that's what he is going to do. And he really can't return until it's done. So no matter what happens with Cersei, he must end the siege and end the last true holdout of the War of the Five Kings before he can go back to King's Landing. Yeah, I totally agree. Unless there's no more king. Unless something happens to Tommen or the Tyrells take the throne. Yeah. Which would go against their field to House Lannister. Yeah. Well, they essentially have the throne with Marjorie in Mar- there if yeah. she comes back to herself, you know, right. or in everybody's eyes comes back to herself because she's the power player in that relationship for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, she has to be. He's 12. <laughs> right, right. Like, I don't think the Tyrells want to knock off Tom. They want to get rid of Cersei. I don't think yeah. there's really nothing to gain in getting rid of Tommen, and there's, you know, there's there's no play there. I mean, he's a child. Not it until would only they have an heir. Right. Then, then they can do away with him. But I think something else is going to happen to Tommen. You know, I could be wrong. It could be Marjorie, right. but I think something else is going to happen to him. And Jamie yeah. is, like Nico said, he's just doing his job. He's like, a, he's a soldier. Soldiers go where they're told, whether they agree with what they're doing or not. Jamie seems just kind of bored with what he's doing right now. Like, Uh, seriously, I I have to deal. (laughs) I have a question for you because I I wasn't 100% sure on this. When Tommen sent him off, by stripping him of his white cloak, does that mean that Jaime is now the lord of Casterly Rock? I Does he gain so. his I title that, back? I think so because he's not the commander, the high commander of the King's Guard anymore. Right. So I think he re- it reverts back to he has his title mm-hmm. because he is the male Lannister heir. So right. he is taken on Tywin's. So when he gave up the cloak, unless they stripped that from him and we just didn't see it or it was like subsumed in there yeah. somehow. Yeah, he's the Lord of Casterly Rock. I think they called him my lord too. Could the episode? Well, they always, well, he's also a knight and a lot of knights are referred to as, right. as that. But yeah, no, I agree with you, Nico. I think that that's what that means. That's kind of how I took it. So essentially, he commands the Lannister army. We saw that in this episode Mm -hmm. as they were marching on. That was also sort of under the king's direction. So Mm -hmm. he could have been leading the Lannister army because he was, you know, the highest ranking king's servant, you know, or whatever. So that's why I wasn't 100%. Yeah, I I kind of took it as the Lannisters are pledged to House Baratheon. And technically, Tommen is House Baratheon. The Baratheons hold the throne. So he is still at the beck and call of his king who is Baratheon and as a Lannister he, he has to follow through yeah yeah but with what we saw Jamie this week, I know he was kind of bored, but I was glad we got Rod back to make this seat more entertaining. My favorite line for Rod was, Jamie's like, well, Lannister's always a brother, like, don't say it. <laughs> that was really Yeah, cool. 
I actually applauded so, when Ron came back. So. Me too. I was very happy. That that could make us huge, by the way. But <laughs> at the same time, it really did seem like Jamie or the Blackfish wanted to fight. They were just kind of like, oh, do we really? Kind of thing. That's the vibe I got. Because I love that the, the teams were this episode kind of gave George, where Jamie just said that teachers are boring. I was just like, that's so perfect, because we were just talking about how boring teachers are. Kind of show, and I felt like they kind of, they were teasing George. Kind of that one, which was fun. And with that being said, were you both kind of catching yourselves, why should Jamie and the Blackfish be fighting each other with their bigger threats out there? Do you think Brienne possibly could talk to sense it to Jamie when she shows up on the battlefield next week? Well, the Blackfish hates the Lannisters, and especially hates the phrase. So he has every reason to hold out the siege. Plus, this is his ancestral home, and he will not have one of Walter Frey's sons taking it from the Tully family. As he said, does Jamie really have two years to give to the siege? Because they have the supplies to last at least two years within the castle, and it will take thousands of Lannister and Frey lives to take the castle, while only a few hundred Tully lives would be lost in that fight. Remember that the Southerners don't believe in the Others or White Walkers, and scoffed at Marmont's plea for men when he said they needed more to fight the Others and White Walkers. So this is the only war that the Southerners care about or believe is really valid. That is why they are pitted against each other. Nothing Brienne tells Jamie next week will make a, a difference to him, because he doesn't believe in White Walkers, he doesn't believe there's an actual threat. He has his orders from his king, and that's all that matters. But I would think because of his hand, that he would be pissed off about Ramsay Bolton being in charge of the North. Right. So that, that's where I feel like it's going to get him to fight is more of the, the, the Bolton thing, not the White Walkers. I don't think he's going to leave. I think but the man, who, the man who took his hand is dead. Oh, I mean, maybe not the actual man who chopped it off. We don't remember... Right. Or we don't know what happened to the rest of the Brave Companions, and we'll actually get into a little bit of that when we talk about Ian McShane's appearance this week. But we don't know what happened to the actual man. And yes, Roose Bolton was behind it all because he was commanding the Brave Companions, but Ramsay Bolton isn't to blame for... Jamie losing his hand, Roos Bolton was, and Ramsey killed Roos, so That's essentially, true. the guy who's now leading the North killed the man that took his hand, so maybe he would even applaud that, but, you know, maybe not. Yeah, it's gonna come down to the the Whites and the White Walkers actually being, like, the threat being understood by the Southerners before they do anything. Right now, they don't know and don't pretty much don't care what's going on in the North. They've got their own things to do, and it's kind of how it always really has been, is like the North is kind of on its own. Yeah. And that's kind of, it's like, it's not, it's going to take something major. It's going to take, you know, the final battle for them to, I think, all come together against the Whites and the White Walkers. Get some of these characters get there. That's right. the question. And, you know, Brienne could, you know, try try to persuade Jamie, And I think he would believe her. But she herself hasn't seen a White Walker. She, right. she knows of them. But I think if she tells him of John and what's happened, then perhaps. But, and what the threat, you know, we need a Stark in Winterfell. We need your help. If that's why she's going there. Because she was, if I recall correctly, she was going there to talk to the Blackfish. Not, not to right. Jamie, Because she doesn't know that Jamie's there. But the Blackfish is not going to give up any of his men. Because he's got this siege. And so my guess is that Brienne is going to have to, to get the Blackfish's army, she's going to have to try to talk Jamie into letting this go or giving up or something. So right. I don't know. I mean, it's it's all kind of up in the air. What's, you know, with so many people in so many different places in this world, you know, and there's no phones and no internet. So it's kind of hard to communicate with everybody. But yeah, I, I think that this whole Tully, somehow I don't think there's going to be a siege at River Run or it's not going to be very long. I don't know. I just get this impression that it's like, we've got three episodes left in this season. I don't right. want three episodes of a siege. I think something's going to happen. And maybe the Tullys will say, okay, well, we are pledged to House Stark. We need to go help Sansa and John, Or, you know, if something, you know, diplomacy will reign or if it'll be a really quick siege. I don't think they're going to spend too much time on sieges. Yeah, I just, and I kind of want all the phrase dead, so... 
Yeah, just get rid of the babies. Yeah, and they need to brush their teeth. Oh my god. Get rid of Fulch. Keep it going. Yeah, they're a bunch of freaking pedophiles. Alright, well, speaking of stuff with Brienne, I kind of honestly thought that she killed the hell when Arya left him for dead. Because I thought it was over we were done with the character. That that was the end of his story. So I was kind of surprised to see him back this week. That where his story seems to be going makes me happy about the character. I think it's a good idea to bring it back. Because there's no way to continue his story that I thought was done. Yeah, this episode sort of set him up to become a killer again. But he's different in the sense that he's become a killer. Because it seems like he's going to follow, like, vigilante code, rather than mindlessly following the orders of King. Although I was kind of disappointed that getting the help of his point meant I had Ian McShane because a one-shot character, instead of being someone important, like we originally thought. Again, I could be wrong, because there could be something in the books that makes that different, but I guess, in my opinion, they had to get this memorable, uh, this type of memorable actor, or well-known actor, so his death would have an impact on the audience of the Hound, to get why he returned back to his life as a killer. So do you both agree with where I think the Hound story is going? Because did you think Ian McShane was going to have a more prominent role on the show than what we got. I definitely thought Ian McShane, when you have an actor of that magnitude and that experience, that he was going to be a more prominent character. And when he showed up, I was like, oh, it's Ian McShane, and who I've kind of had a crush on since I saw him in a movie that he made in the 70s. I was like, oh my, hello. So I was kind of, I was like, oh, okay, not exactly the character, but his performance and his his charisma as that as that septum, he really like he was wonderful. I mean, I have no I have no qualms. I mean, I was just like, oh, I love this character. It's not something he's really played before. And this kind of calm, serene, you know, he's very often he's in the, you know, he's he's a manipulator, he is, or he's a fighter, or he's like a mentor figure. And he was kind of the mentor figure, but he had this calm to him that was very, I think the Hound needed, and I think responded to. I think he was the perfect choice to be the one to save him. I think he saved him not just physically, but and maybe not spiritually, because the Hound doesn't believe in any of that stuff, but I think he saved him emotionally. And like, and now he has another purpose. He was like, first he was just kind of living with these people, but he, I think there was a grudging respect for them and the fact that this man saved him, and now that they've all been murdered, I think it's like, well, I'm gonna, I have to repay this debt to this man and to these people and avenge them. I don't think he's going to become like the killer like the Hound was before. I think he's, there's, there's going to be a rhyme and reason to what he does. And I look forward to it because I miss the Hound. And as for him being, being surprised that he was alive, a little bit, but then you have to remember, we didn't see him die. Yep. And in Game of Thrones, <laughs> unless there's a head in a basket, I think Brienne will be, and Arya will be awfully surprised though. Yeah. I think Arya might be oh good he's still alive because I think there's a part of her that had affection for him yeah. from the episode start this storyline was unique it was introduced in the rare cold open sequence before the opening credits which I really couldn't remember another one before this but am told that there have been others but anyway Ian McShane's character was known as brother or Septon Ray depending on who you ask about it but in the books he was essentially two characters that they've combined into a single character Th the first was Maribald who was a wandering Septon who traveled barefoot foot to atone for his sins through the riverlands ministering the faith of the seven to small folk or common folk many of whom like brother ray have unwholesome pasts though maribald's family was called to battle during the war of the nine penny kings ray's past makes it sound more like a soldier for hire but both characters have blood on their hands regardless because maribald became what he calls in the book a broken man anyone that has read the books knows that that chapter where maribald talks about what that means is one of the best in the entire series but for mm -hmm. those those of you not familiar with it, the short story for it is a, a broken man is a soldier who 
fled war and became an outlaw, one that forgot all sense of self and home and became a lost criminal, one that Maribel says should be feared but pitied even more. And, of course, that's the title of this episode, mm -hmm. The Broken Man. And Septon Maribald was broken himself before turning to the faith, just like Brother Ray says here. In the books, Maribald tells Brienne and Podrick, who are searching the Riverlands for Sansa, about the broken men as he escorts them to the Quiet Isle that I've been talking about for a couple weeks now, where they meet the second character that contributed to Brother Ray on the show, a man known as the Elder Brother. The Quiet Isle is a small island in the Trident River, but one that is very hard hard to safely get to without knowing the path. It is home to sworn followers of the Seven, and the men who live there are trying to atone for past sins through prayer, contemplation, and silence, though they may speak to confess. And then, of course, the elder brother talks with Brienne and Podrick. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The elder brother tells Brienne that he found a dying Sander Klegny, a man that was full of hate, a man whose only wish was to kill his own brother, and that the hound cried as the elder brother held him, wishing for mercy from the pain. The elder brother says that the hound died in his arms. Yet, in spite of that story from the elder brother, no book reader was really surprised to see him reappear on the show this week because there's been a theory that while the hound, a man full of hate and pain and suffering, died, Sander Klegny did not. While on the island, Brienne sees a giant gravedigger at work, a man who is said to befriend dogs, whose face is covered, indicating that he is new to the island and who seems to have an injury similar to the one the hound suffered many years earlier. On top of that, the elder brother seems to know a lot about the hound's life and feelings, way more than you might imagine from just him hearing the dying confession of the hound. Plus, the hound's horse, a famous war horse, is in the Quiet Isle stables and is believed no one but Sander Klegny would lead that horse anywhere. So so that's why there's always been this idea that the elder brother found a dying hound and was only speaking metaphorically about the death of the hound and not about the literal death of the guy, Sander Klegny. And, th and that's what this episode all, all but confirmed. And that's really, really good. Now, this story was a massive change from the books in a sense because it was moved from the third book to the sixth season and lines up with different story arcs because Arya and Sansa are not in the Riverlands anymore. And it did, however, bring the brave companions back, which were the men that killed all the people in the care of Septon or Brother Ray. This also means that the Brotherhood Without Banners will probably return as well, along with the possibility of Lady Stoneheart, who is another character from the books that plays an important part in this part of the story in book three and four, but has not been introduced on this show yet. I like the idea that the new changed hound, like you said, Dan, might be a little bit more of a vigilante sure. and seem more like the man he was becoming while traveling with Arya. So, Nikki, what you said as well, I think Arya will be happy that she didn't give him the mercy if he is able to turn into this different man. I think he will be brutal and unrelenting in his pursuit of the brave companions and will kill any that claim to be part of that group. But I think there will be a nobility to his killing. It will be it, it'll be vengeance and revenge, but it won't be random killing and it won't be personal. It'll be all about getting justice for the, the people who saved his life. And I think it's going to be really good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen. That was a story I didn't think was going to continue, so I'm anxious to see where it's going to go. Well, Ian McShane, you say it was not a big role for such a, a big character, but the soliloquy that he gives in this episode was the reason that they hired yeah. him. Yeah. They wanted someone of his gravitas and someone who could deliver 
her something of that importance and that it was very much like his Deadwood character. And that yeah, is right. exactly what he said in an interview. That's why they hired me. They wanted me to bring the same performance I gave in Deadwood to Game of Thrones. And it didn't have to be over multiple episodes or multiple seasons. They wanted it all in a single episode to really drive home the point. Yeah, yeah, Good I totally end. forgot about his character on Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. But huh. you're right. I mean, when I was saying it's a different, it, it is very similar to his role on Deadwood. And because he is the reason I watched that show. And he was the perfect choice. I, I he, you know, sometimes you need to bring in your designated hitter. Yep. And who better than Ian McShane? I mean, he's amazing. Right. Because he was already affiliated with HBO. So that makes sense. Right. Good and call. he did, he did criticize the show <laughs> at one point. He said, this is about tits and dragons. I'm like, well. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So your point? <laughs> I'm glad he gave a board to add more to the show. Than just yeah, hopefully he's he's watched it since. As I don't think he was he watched he had watched it before. So yeah, that's true too. Now moving on, cause this might be a little bit of a controversial idea I have here, but I'm not saying it because I'm someone who's into weird fan fiction. <laughs> I'm more saying it because yeah, I could see it being a possibility and again I, I like the idea of LGBT characters being on television you know, we've talked a lot about maybe there'd be more so that's why mm-hmm. my brain thinking this and I, you know I, I missed it I don't know if I missed it or if this is the first episode they introduced group that you're always into with it. I, I didn't know that about character it could make sense but I, I don't know if I missed the information because it's the first time yes, it was released again but it makes me wonder if it's possible that maybe she and the various could have some kind of romance because a way to explain how they combine forces because they are really I think, like, a worthy match to each other. But I think they would be impressed by each other because they've never seen another woman who's strong because they are. So what do you think of this possibility? I mean, it could be way outside of your house and they may not be worthy of anybody. But it was just a thought that went to me. I, I don't know if I think Yara is quite up to Danny's standards just because Danny is Daenerys Targaryen, Daenerys exactly. Stormborn, mother of dragons. Who can live up to who is good enough for her? As for Yara being into women, I think in this world that Game of Thrones exists and and one that I kind of wish we had in real life at times is that everybody's kind of into everybody. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's really no gay, straight, bi. Everybody's kind of bi. Yeah. I mean, there's some people that, I mean, we had Oberon, Martell. Yes. You've seen multiple women with women and those same women with men. You've seen multiple men with men and those men with women as well. I mean, there's some characters that they seem to be clearly, you know, strictly homosexual or strictly straight. But for the most part, this world is just full of people who just want to have sex. And it's like, it's a body and they're attracted to who they're attracted to it's like you know i'm attracted to this person they happen to be the same gender whatever it, it doesn't seem to be really a thing except with the whole loris tyrell thing with the high sparrow and they're like oh you're you're bad because you sleep with men and it's like well screw you high, high sparrow you know yeah. nobody's complaining the only one who's getting into people's bedrooms is you that's kind of how i feel about like the religious right in this country it's like everybody just loves everybody it's sex it's you know it's free it's open it's whatever you want it to be I don't care if they want to have sex with a tree. Just make it good television. But I, I think that Yara, I don't remember her sexuality coming up before. I don't think it's really integral to her character. I think it, it was just a way to show kind of her swagger and her power. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm going to go fuck the tits off that one. Yep. I'm like, go for it. You know, so do it. <laughs> in most of Westeros, in the highborn families, male homosexuality is not accepted. It's only in Dorne that it seems to be really part of their culture and part of their accepted culture. And that's why Oberon was was loved for his love of men and love of women and having male paramours, female paramours, having all kinds of lovers and things of that nature. He was he was loved for it. But right. that's why Loris is had to keep and Renly had to keep it quiet.
quiet. They had to keep it behind closed doors because it would never be accepted by the highborns. The common people, I think you're absolutely right, Nikki. It's it's a lot more accepted. It's it, it's not a big deal. The faith, it seems to be the only one really concerned with it. And the highborns have always had a uneasy relationship with the faith as we're seeing play out again in King's Landing right now with the High Sparrow. What right. is interesting about Yara is in the books, she has a lover named Carl the Maid, named so because he's unable to grow a beard and is pink-cheeked, which on the Iron Isles is something to tease him about. But he's also known as one of the fiercest warriors of the entire Iron Isles and is probably the only person equal to her skill. For, so for her to have a thing for women on the show is a departure from the books, but not anything detrimental to the story so i'm absolutely 100 percent fine with it because she likes women it kind of makes her the same as her men you know they're yeah. out whoring together and and looking going into the whorehouse and nikki you you said it before but one of my favorite lines of the entire episode was i'm gonna fuck the tits off that girl <laughs> i loved so. it it made me laugh out loud and clap because it was like oh yara just go yeah. for it yeah. I, I think you're right about that like the highborn families i think they knew it was going on and but and unless it became public, they just kind of turned a blind eye to it. Exactly. Because everybody pretty much knew about Renly and everybody knew about Loras, but they still wanted them to make marriages. And they're like, we don't care what you do once you're married, you know, once you're married to a, a woman who gives us more status, you know, do whatever you want behind closed doors, all kings and lords and everybody have mistresses. I don't care if yours is a man or a woman, just keep it, you know, keep it to yourself kind of thing. Well, right, because in this world, marriage is all about producing an heir and yeah, producing right. the next in line or a potential backup heir or, you know, right. the heir so, in the spare. Yep, exactly. So procreation is paramount to the marriage that you know it's not about love it's not about any of that stuff because they're all arranged a lot of a lot of them find love and i think we we knew that when we saw catelyn stark and and ned stark and we've heard other stories of of high men and women who were put together had no knowledge of each other and have these wonderful romances and they end up over the years of being married together find their romance you know and have a romance together and then there's the people like Cersei and Robert who were put together for political reasons and never had a loving marriage. Uh -uh. You know, so it, it's a broken system. It's not a system we really use throughout most of the world anymore. But it was the commonplace for a lot of a lot of people in all walks of life, not just nobility. It was right. all the way back to the time of the Bible. We, were, we, we hear stories or there are stories in the Bible about the use of marriage to create political allies or to to stop wars and things of that nature so yeah absolutely that's why i think it's very frowned upon about the highborn is because they make those marriages and the everything it's it's all about improving the house's stature and improving and, and a, a a male male marriage and a, a female female marriage does not do that for the purposes necessary to procreate so in that right. sense i think that that's the reason it's it's frowned upon in the highborn as well as long as along with the whole thing I said about the, the faith getting in there and getting their claws right. in it. But I feel like it's more accepted to the Iron Islands because they're more like pirates or swashbuckler. Type oh, absolutely. So and they're very isolated. So yes. I mean, well, she's like yeah. she's the only woman there. Well, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Slavery is still allowed on the Iron Isles only because you... You have to pay the iron price to take a slave. So that means you have to go and take them. You can't buy and you can't sell slaves on the Iron Isles, but you can take them. And they're called thralls. On And there's a history of it in the books and everything that is really interesting. But it, 
it, it only bears mentioning because it is one of another difference on the Iron Isles. They're they're like their own world, and really they they're almost wildlings, but they're uh-huh. south of the wall. Quote, speaking of another one of those kind of like wildling like people, I really enjoyed the role Yara's playing. Could getting Fiat back got tracked with his old self. God, which she told him to slit his wrists if he couldn't snap out of his depression. Could got a little scared. We we're gonna see him say he was okay, and they get the shocker at the end of the episode of finding Fiat dead. But thank God that didn't happen. So do you all think we're safe from seeing this sort of thing happen with Fiat because of that look that he gave his sister, which the creators of the show said after the show was over, because the behind-the-scenes stuff, that this look was an indication that his original personality is back. Do you guys agree that that's true? Do we have the old Fiat? Yeah, I love I that think, scene. Yeah, yeah, me too. That I look was it, very powerful. It showed how much Yara truly loves her brother. Yeah. She showed him as much compassion and love as the Ironborn are capable of, and her words, while harsh to those of us not accustomed to their way of life, were in fact very supportive and loving in her own way. Drink your ale. She told him she needed it, you know? Yeah. That's the biggest thing that she could say. She is the leader, and she's saying to him, I need you. I need you. Forget about the rest of these guys. I need you. But the real you. Not this shell of a man that is afraid of his own shadow. She told him that she would never hurt him or allow him to be hurt again. This was one of my favorite scenes of the entire episode, and that's including a lot of the stuff we got with Ian McShane and Sandra Clegney, and not because of all of the tits, but definitely <laughs> yeah. because of Yara and Theon. Yeah, yeah, it was a really moving speech because she was like, it was almost like, you know, she she might as well have smacked him on the back of the head and said, snap out of it. You know, right. she had to pull him out of himself and pull, that, pull the last remaining vestiges of Reek away and just ha- be talking to Theon, not to be talking to this, you know, half man that he kind of has turned himself into. But to say, I don't care what bits you've got or don't got. You're still my brother. You're still fierce. I need you in this. And like you said, Nico, that was as emotional as the Ironborn get and d- delivered beautifully. And I think that maybe he is, you know, if he was going to kill himself, he would have done it when he was Reek. Yep, right. And he had nothing to live for. He has things to live for again. He was, he was very well done. Cause they're doing a great job of redeeming Fiat the Because there were people that hated it when he did some of his actions. Because we're supposed to. That, that's what made the story good at that point. But I really like how they're using characters like Yara to redeem him. and can make us want to root in this guy. They're doing a beautiful job at it. Moving forward, I really liked how John's army is like a ragtag group of people. Because it's very hero's journey. Like, and a great way to take down someone like Ramsey. Who I think has no any form of equality between the people. Because all about him, and if you're not as good as he is, or drinking his Kool-Aid, he's going to take you out. And I think the most fascinating character that was part of this raising of the troops was the farmer's lord commander of the Night's Watches, Red Warlock's niece, who happened to be a very young girl in charge of a good small kingdom or a house. And I hope we see more of this character, because the, the girl that played her was an excellent actress. And she was just very fascinating to me. And I liked it that Sir Davos kind of got through to the girl, because it was a nice throwback to those great moments he had with Shereen. I mean, he totally, I think, understood her based on that feeling and that caring for Shereen and I I think his desire to want to be a father again, because that loss of being a father. I think that's what made him such a good advisor to John, that a very helpful person to this young girl in the situation, to reason with her. So did you both enjoy these rising of the troops moments and all the stuff that came with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Liana Mormont is the internet's newest darling and everyone's new favorite character because she was just awesome. Yeah. And prior to this week's episode, she'd never been on screen, obviously, but she had been mentioned by Stannis when he complained to Jon Snow up at the wall that he had heard back from her about joining his army. He said, the lady of Bear Island and a child of 10. I asked her to commit her house to my cause, and this is her response. Bear Island knows no king but the king in the north, whose name is Stark. 
So who exactly is Leanna Mormont? Well, she's cousin to Sir Jorah, her uncle being his father, Gior Mormont, that you mentioned, Dan, was the former Lord Commander of the Night's Watch prior to Jon Snow. She's the daughter of Mage Mormont, the she-bear of their house. Oh, and she was named after Lyanna Stark, who died a few years before she was born, and is super important to the mythos of this story. Yeah, can anyone say Rickon and Lyanna Mormont marriage pairing? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a very good point. Can I... This is gonna happen. Yeah. No, I I loved I loved the whole scene with with her. I thought she was fantastic. She didn't act like a little girl. She wasn't treated like a little girl. She was treated as a leader, as a leader of her house, as a leader of an army. She was paid respect, and she showed respect, and she knew how to handle that room. Yep. She used her yeah. advisors. Yeah, I'm gonna talk to my advisors, but that's what all good leaders do. And she was like, "Enough with the small talk. Why are you here?" And I just I loved her attitude, and I love that she was on the she was with them with her 62 men. Yeah you know, at the camp. She was, she was going to be there. She is the leader. And if hopefully nothing happens to her, I hope we do get, you know, wedding bells with her and Rickon. And, you know, it goes along with what we were saying earlier is marriages were for political gain or land, or, you know, in some cases it still happens today that marriages are arranged between business associates. Okay. Like your son will marry my daughter and then our, our companies will be connected kind of thing. And that's sad that arranged marriages are still happening, but obviously they're still happening because they're allowed to happen. People are still saying yes to them. So I cannot wait. I want more of this of Liana and I'm just like she totally just blew me away yeah I agree and I'm kind of curious if Sir Jorah is going to return or show up in this situation because she like, I wondered what I'm wondering is if he's going to go back home because like a how should I explain it like he's, he's going to go back home to see where he grew up all that time or something like that that gets him involved maybe him a part of the city back I just feel like there's a significance that she's related to him that's going to come into play when she was I think that the significance is that is her connection to Lord Morma of the Night's Watch. Okay. I don't think Sir Dora even knows she exists. He's okay. been gone a long time. That makes sense. So I just think I just think that the of her uncle and John's connection to him, and that's why. And he's a Stark. But I did love. I was so happy this was brought up, and it took the ten-year-old to bring it up. Uh, it's not uh, a Lannister or Bolton or Stark because she's still technically married to Tyrion. Right. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. Somebody's finally brought it up. She's still married to Tyrion. That means her marriage to Ramsay is null and void. Because yep. unless bigamy has somehow become legal right. in the north, it's like so technically she's not married to Ramsay anymore. She's not really what never really was. So he committed not just a heinous act upon his wife, but and a crime, but a crime against someone who was not his wife, which might be frowned more upon what he did to her because she wasn't his wife. Because that seems to be okay if it's your wife. And it's like, and, but she, I love how she's she's like I'm a Stark, and I like how people accept John as a Stark, even though he is technically his last name Snow, and that's the name given to bastards in the north. My question is, what's her marriage to Tyrion nullified because Tyrion killed got Tyrion her because it's essentially a criminal does that delete their marriage? No. No. Oh, okay. And even the fact that they never they never consummated it shouldn't right. they're married until they're not until it's an older they're divorced or he dies or one of them dies and that hasn't happened none of those things have happened she's still Tyrion's wife. Although the argument could be married that since it wasn't consummated that the marriage was not a legal um, marriage. But they don't know that. Right. right. But nobody knows that so well, Ramsey could Ramsey make doesn't. The, yeah, she could say well I I was like, I know. I was like, you asshat, just shut up, is what I want to say to him. But it, who? No, nobody knows that. And nobody, you know, so it's like only Sansa and Tyrion know what happened in their marriage. Right. Brief and, as it was. And that could be useful for them becoming allies with Daenerys since uh, Tyrion's head of the cake. Unless they let the call on the bag of John is a Targaryen, which I don't know if they're going to do that or not. But they meet. I don't know if they'll know that information. Could they have their first meeting or not? Sure. 
Yeah, moving on, I guess Santa just can't stop going to that little figure for help. Even after everything he has done. Because I'm positive, okay, that's who she sent the raven with the letter to. Because I just can't shake Kevin a bad feeling about this alliance or the fact that she's going to him. It just makes me nervous, because we know he's a shady character. So are you both feeling the same way about this? I assumed that she was writing to Littlefinger just because that seemed to be like her last desperate act. But I don't know because she, of what how they left things the last time they spoke. So she could be writing to, you know, oh god, what's his name at the airy? Not Robin, but his, like, foster family. Who's taking care of that little brat right now? Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm banking on his name as well. It's like, it's just gone. It, he's just, like, this big boisterous guy who's, like, basically Littlefinger's bitch right now. Yeah. But, you know, she could be writing to him, and she could be writing, you know, maybe she's writing to Tyrion. She doesn't, well, she doesn't know where he is, because last right. time she saw him, they were running away from, you know, Sansa was getting, you know, being taken by Littlefinger, and Tyrion was being hauled away by Varys. So, I don't know who she's writing to. Yeah. Maybe she's writing to her uncle, the Blackfish. But then she sent Brienne there, so that doesn't make sense for that. I don't know. It's probably Littlefinger. I had a thought. Could it be Marjorie? Because they formed a friendship. I don't know. I think it would take too long to get to Marjorie and to get a response back. And okay. No, I don't... the only reason I... is she said, and they all agreed beforehand, not to send any ravens south because they could oh, be right. intercepted by Ramsay, and they don't want him to know that they're forming an army before they have an army somewhat together. Right. So I, I believe the only one it makes sense to be sending to is Littlefinger because he's at Mo Caitlin or Mo Catlin or however you say it. And that is east of where they're camped or west of where they're camped or it's not south or there it's it's a lot less likely that Ramsey would be able to intercept that raven. So that's why I think it's Littlefinger. And it's it's definitely a bad idea. <laughs> but the only way it's gonna be able to l- raise an army large enough to realistically defeat Ramsey is to go for the the Knights of the Vale and go and owe Littlefinger and he'll have yet another potential victorious ruler indebted to him as we suspect Sansa will probably be named Queen in the North or she might even put up Rickon on the throne as the new King in the North if not raising John to the post but I, I don't believe that's the case I don't think John's going to be accepted uh, he'll be a great leader and men will follow him in battle but I don't believe they will see him or accept him as their lord. But this is all part of Littlefinger's long con plan that I still have no idea what his endgame really is. But I think this will work and Littlefinger's troops will be the deciding factor because it works for Littlefinger in, in his favor. And he always seems to be on the winning side. So that probably means it's going to be successful. And we don't know how many people owe favors to him. Exactly. So he could amass quite the army. I feel like he's the guy that's going to get killed by White Walkers. Like, he's like the guy in the whole movie. like full of himself. Can he takes like all they're gonna get out of the situation. He's like the umbrella company guy. Or not the umbrella company. That's that's what's in the evil. The 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 Rutani group, an alien. He's like oh, yeah. where he's just like, oh yeah, the company can all this company can do this now. Because he gets eaten by alien. That's that's the kind of character I feel like that they're playing about with it. I kinda hope that character turns out to be Ramsey though, so I want him eaten. Well that could happen too. Come on, throw that out, but I think I think Ramsey needs to get killed. Got the hands of old heroes on the show. That, that I, that's right. I wish they I think Sansa should do it. I wish they get the card, so. I think people should take turns. That's fine, too. <laughs> but, Sa- but Sansa gets the last one. That would be good, too. Because it may happen. That's very logical that she kills him. Like, John will be fighting him, and he'll say, you know what? I'm not going to kill you just yet. Go- Somebody else wants to have a chat with you. 
Now, finally, speaking of stabbing, after all the waiting we've done for Arya's story to progress, I got really angry when I thought they killed her off. Because the way she was stabbed, it looked a lot like the way Jon was taken off at the end of last season. I mean, it was very similar. She got stabbed in the stomach. I really thought that was it for her. But I guess she survived. And I, I, I don't know if she's, like, gonna die in a future episode, like, we're gonna see her suffer. Gonna die? Or somehow she's gonna survive these injuries by discovering some of those other abilities that Jack and Kagar were talking about that were mentioned Boss. So, do you think this is a moment where Arya's gonna barely escape? Or is this a moment where the literary serial killer struck out? What do you both think? I, I think that the way she was stabbed, she was given a slash, a horizontal slash across the abdomen, and then like three or four really quick jabs more into her, to the side rather than her stomach. Okay. Because once you're stabbed in the stomach, you're pretty much a goner. Yeah. Because you bought your stomach fills with, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a horrible way to die. There was, there has been a theory floating around. <laughs> that the waif is actually Arya. And so I was kind of watching for that during this episode. She puts on the face of the waif in that there's the backup is she's the only people the waif ever talks to are her and Jockin. And when she was beating up blind Arya in the street, nobody said boo. Nobody said, hey, you're beating up a blind girl. Nobody even kind of noticed it was happening, really. I mean, they might. So there's a lot of people are trying to like, I don't know if I subscribe to this theory or not. And that this was right. And that this stabbing was her way of exercising that part of her like exercising the last of the faceless and i was just like okay i i see kind of where the thinking is but it's a little too fight club for me <laughs> right yeah i was like she's not tyler durden so i basically so i was watching for it and i was like i don't know and i was like well when i when i saw that scene i was like well that, that kind of puts paid into that theory kind of but we don't really see wave after that and nobody was really paying attention to to a stabbed aria she's walking around bleeding all over the place everybody's just looking at her like okay there's a girl stumbling around nobody seemed concerned nobody seemed like they wanted to help her they just kind of looked at her like okay so it's just like i don't know what's going on i'm confused yeah. by this but I, I so i think she's gonna be okay because i because i've watched it three times now okay. and specifically that scene and i don't think that they were kill shots Okay. Yeah, no, if the serial killer had wanted to kill Arya, he would have done so in one fell swoop, just like Ned, Rob, Catelyn, Stannis, Renly, Marcella, the Red Viper, Tywin, Joffrey, and many, many more. I would have been shitting my pants if they had cut to black as she went into the water, but since she made it to land and we saw her survive that initial attack, I think she will seek out help from wherever she can and find it in the woman from the play that took her in. In the books, once she has successfully completed her first assassination mission, that guy with the coins and become an acolyte of the Faceless Men, she actually joins forces with Isabario, the leader of the Mummers troop that she was hired to kill in, uh, kill the woman this season. So my guess is that woman has an important role still to play in helping Arya escape. I think she'll help her escape Bravos and Book Passage back to Westeros, which was her plan going into this episode. But somehow in the process of healing, Arya will skin change into Nymeria, and we will see her gain that ability and start having that ability. She may do it into another animal as well while she's healing she'll have night dreams and and she will warg into nymeria and run free with nymeria but also when she's semi-conscious she'll be able to warg into cats or other animals in the vicinity of her to keep a, a lookout for her body and and keep sentry on herself yeah. so i think that's how they're going to introduce that aspect of her character into the show now i could be wrong but i think that would be an interesting thing and it would allow her to escape the pain of having to heal from these injuries she could go mm. running off and keep watch of her over herself in these different animals 
levels. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I told that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, it'll give her training as well in that because the first time it happens, she won't know what it is. And then once she's able to control it, she'll be able to do it much like Bran can, you know, where he can just jump into to any animal that he's he's mastered. Or right, near death would force you to kick its baby or those things. So exactly. Bring out her innate abilities that she didn't know she had. Right. Yep. Which is cool. So, glad she's okay. I'm glad that's good. All right. So, uh, with that, I think that wraps up our discussion. We didn't get any listener feedback this week. And so, I think we're just going to go into the closing for this week. Gordico's going to share what's going on for next week's episode, if you don't know already. Yeah. On next week's episode, Dan, Nikki, and I return to review the eighth episode of season six of Game of Thrones entitled No One. But for now, we'll roll our pre recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual programs get the itunes store get google play store guys for the podcast shows color network we have the dc nation podcast located at dc nation.acrosstheairwaves.com and that's dc nation.acrosstheairwaves.com which reviews popular dc comics related tv shows get movies there's also the marvelverse podcast located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com and that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com which reviews marvel comics related tv shows get movies and we also have throats cast car podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of hbo's game of thrones which is available at the website throatscast.acrosstheairwaves.com again that's throatscast.acrosstheairwaves.com in addition to these programs you can listen to the original across the airwaves podcast which is accessible at acrosstheairwaves.com which reviews tv shows not related to superheroes core game of thrones like the walking dead doctor who star wars rebels supernatural and more including sitcoms such as the big bang theory and the muppets also you can listen to across the airwaves the dc nation podcast thrones cast the game of thrones podcast and the marvelverse podcast got the mixed radio station code by jack stifle stitcher radio or if you use apple devices download the podcast box app and if you're on a windows or android device you can download our apps from the amazon marketplace and the windows marketplace got a regular windows or windows phone app because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback got the tv shows we review provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience or just want to say do you like what we're doing Email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Got across their waves. There's no thought in there. It's just across their waves. Join our circle. Got Google Plus. Go leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Again, that's 773-809-3363. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. Got the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Alright, so once again, for our awesome ATA podcast us, Wu Kim, Steve Nastro, James Huffle, Joshua Mercury, and Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reistek. I'm Nikki Amy. And until our next Great Throats Cast episodes, we'll catch you on the airways. See everybody, have a great week. Bye guys.
Parker lifts, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.